Hello, everyone. You're listening to Finding Japan, episode 25, the office episode. Over the last six weeks or so, I've recorded various sound clips, as you may know. I've talked quite about、uh, putting together a collection of observations of working in a Japanese office. What you will hear is four or five different clips of、uh, random audio that was recorded over the past six weeks with some varied thoughts and observations about a Japanese office. I will also、uh, jump in for a bit too to add some additional comments, and I will see you guys at the end of this episode. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, what's going on? I don't even know who everybody is anymore. It's really kind of funny. I just say everybody. Not that I assume that everybody's listening, but I don't know really who is listening, so maybe I should say, hey, whoever's listening, instead of everybody. Won't sound as pretentious anyway.、Um, my name is Christopher, and you are listening to Finding Japan. I figured I would、um, break up the podcast.、Um, Segment for、uh, my first experiences and first impressions of being in a Japanese work environment into sections. I've been trying to do it for quite a bit, and unfortunately, it's been difficult with my schedule.、Uh, weekends are often spent doing errands and、uh, catching up on video podcasts and doing some editing. I've been trying to prepare episodes in advance and sort of queue them up. So, this is going to be an attempt to do that as well. So, please bear with me. Uh, as you can tell, I'm on the phone again because it is very convenient. And I just got off the Chikatetsu or the subway and I am walking home now. It is about, my guess is about 8 30 since I left work at about 7 30 this evening.、Um, so I should be home momentarily. Right now it is raining,、um, but it is ko amedes, which is、uh, little rain. And literally the kanji for that is. Uh, like small child or small and rain. One thing I do love about Japan and the rain,、um, rain seems not to daunt scooter、uh, cyclists, motorcyclists, or any other type of、uh, two wheeled vehicle in which you ride on the outside of the vehicle, not within the inside, even during the rain. So that, that's pretty impressive. Anyway, okay, so for this. Uh, segment of the episode, I kind of wanted to focus on、uh, more of the physical aspects to give you guys a view of、um, what it may look like、uh, coming to this place every single day. <clears throat> I should probably give you my, my historical point of view first. I've worked in a mid size、um, insurance company in the technology field. What I'm used to for the most part is a fairly large. IT organization, we're talking maybe 800 plus people, and、um, that organization often divided into various sections、uh, aligned to particular businesses or,、um, how should I say, functions. Oftentimes, many of the people you interact with don't sit right next to you. I'm also used to the classical. I guess you can't really call it classical, but I'm used to the American cube, cube life system. I am getting wet right now for some odd reason. The American cube life system, where you're divided from your peers by walls, which、uh, conveniently hide any toys or gadgets that may、uh, attract peering eyes.
so that's classically what I'm what I'm used to. That's that's my point of view reference. Uh, so I will be comparing things to that. So I, I've worked in that sort of environment for um, let me guess probably about seven years, eight years total, um, six and a half. Almost, no, almost seven years. I mean, now mind you, this is the same company, but a Japanese subsidiary that was bought a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago. One of the classical Japanese layouts um, for an office structure is called Obeya Seido. And Obeya Seido, I don't know what the literal translation is. I, I will put that up in the show notes, but Obeya Seido literally means an open space system. What, what it is is essentially all of the desks are aligned. You walk, you walk into the room. There's a small greeting area, which right now is sort of walled off. It's sort of a printer trash area. But as soon as the room opens up, it, it's lined up uh, with windows on the far end. And basically, all of the desks in vertical perpendicular rows to the windows themselves. So there's probably at any given time around 80 to 100 people there. The desks are actually very, very convenient. All of the power is fed from the center of the desk, so people sit on opposite sides of the desk. And contrary to what I was expecting, I thought that I would be staring down my peers all day. But in reality, there is a small opaque divider, so you really can't see the person across from you except for maybe the top of their head. And maybe, you know, actually you can see their eyes too. But all, all of what you're doing in your personal space is completely private. Now, I am working with a small team. The systems architecture team that's just been formed for this organization is very small. It's very young. We're in the process of uh, building it up. But I sit with my peers back to back. It's, it's very convenient. Now, everybody else sits near each other, which is very different from what I'm used to in an American office. So that's pretty much the physical layout. Can you talk a little bit about the organizational structure? In American companies, I'm used to quite a bit of middle management, directors, assistant vice presidents, vice presidents, second vice presidents, etc. a lot of middle management. In this company, the director or CTO is essentially the team leader for all the major subgroups within that organization, which is drastically different than what I'm used to. Oftentimes, the CTO in an organization will have a, an oversight role and assign middle managers to oversee certain strategic projects and certain strategic divisions. In this case, there's a direct line for all of those subgroups and individual contributors to the CTO. In one way, it's very convenient at this point because you have instant access to the CTO. So that's a little bit of the layout and the organization. Now, all the other business units, not including the technology groups, have similar layouts, HR, etc. So there's no real differentiation between HR, law, accounting, the production groups, etc. So there's really no difference between how they treat technology groups and uh, everything else. It's, it's all the same. Very convenient, very clean setting, very modest uh, amenities, but uh, the printer rules. I'll, I'll get to the printer in a second. So that's pretty much the physical structure and sort of the organizational structure. I think what I'll do next time is talk a little bit about the the vibe of the office because that's that's really one thing that, that kind of struck me. And then after talking about the vibe of the office, I'll talk about some of the things that I think um, are just completely different and that I notice on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I'm actually 
I was really hesitant to get this piece started, but since I'm going to do it in chunks, I don't think it'll be that bad. The reason why is because every day I notice something a little different, and um, it's it's kind of like a uh, kind of like an advent calendar <laughs> in a way. I wonder what's going to be behind you know door door number 21 and then door number 22. It's always a little adventure. The work is really hard. I wouldn't actually I wouldn't say it. the work is really hard. The work is in the work is really intense. It takes a lot of focus and a lot of concentration. And at this moment, at this particular stage of the project, there's a lot riding on uh, the way we're setting it up. So if we mistime deliverables or misplan, it could cost us more than a day. It could cost us a week or so. So I'm in the, at this point, you know, a lot of concentration, a lot of focus. So those little things make it a lot easier to deal with. Um, you know, the kind of intensity that's required at this point in time. As we begin the project itself, I don't think it will take quite as much mental energy, but okay. Well, I'm glad I had enough mental energy to get this section done. I'm almost home, so I will let you go, and I will splice this together with the other parts later on, so you should get this maybe in a week or so. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Christopher. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about that section really quick is I had to cut out a significantly large section of audio there because there was way too much wind noise. And, and the piece that I had cut out was the piece that talked about the actual organizational structure and what I noticed. And one thing I, w- I just want to insert here really quickly is when I was talking about a node structure, in U.S. companies I often noticed that Communication between departments is encouraged, if not expected, whereas in a Japanese company, communication is often done only through the channels that are already formally established. So, for example, a, a office worker in a particular department will not think to ask another office worker in another department for some advice or, or for some insight without first going through his manager. I also realize this is sort of a stereotypical view of a traditional Japanese company, but it's certainly something that I've noticed here, at least in the company that I'm working in now. So sorry for that little mishap there, but I wanted to make sure I I clarified that point. So in the next part of this office episode, we talk a little bit about the vibe of a Japanese office. So I will let my previous self take a little shot at the vibe of a Japanese office. Here we go. Well, hello again. Uh, this is Christopher, and this is the second part of the office series. So for part two of this series here, we're going to talk a little bit about the vibe of the Japanese office. Now, um, the speed of response and the Japanese organization is just incredible. And I'm not even talking about the fact that they do spend much more time in the office than their American counterparts, but more along the lines of, if I have a question and it needs to be answered, if I were in America, I would go to somebody and say, hey, can you help me understand this? They'd say, yeah, okay, well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get that information for you and then we'll We'll send it back to you. I wouldn't expect to see that information maybe for a few days as everybody's pretty much multitasking. However, in this office, I've noticed with multiple individuals, 
that if I ask for something, it's usually in my inbox within about 15 minutes if they have it, or by the very latest the next day, um, which is just incredible. And though I do need to spend more time up front actually specifying out what it is I need, um, the upside to that is I get it very, very quickly. So I think that that's a, a larger difference. Also, I think in American cultures we have more indirect communication, probably because of that network type layout I was talking about, which which I personally prefer. But in in Japan, meetings are very clearly beginning and ending, and I've had a few occasions where a coworker of mine would ask for a meeting because he wanted to talk about one specific thing. And I would say to him, well, that, that one specific thing is very, really quite easy. It's, it's this, this, and this, and that's all there is to it. And he would, he would smile and say, okay, well, let's have a meeting. <laughs> and I, 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 I've read about these things, and I, I've... I've done, um, you know, cultural training, at least in my business studies, and I think most people would probably say, well, I already told you, I'm not going to have a meeting. But I smile and say, okay, let's have a meeting. And maybe about a half hour later or the next day, we have a meeting. But on the flip side of that, like I said, um, we get much more done in that short period of time because we, we tend to plan ahead. So, I don't know, that's one major difference in the vibe of the communication between employees in this office and in offices I've been used to. So, well, I'm at the train station now, so I'm going to let you all go, and hopefully I'll record another section maybe tonight or maybe tomorrow. So take care. Bye. In this next section, I was feeling a little... I don't know. I don't really know what the word is. I think spunky. If you've ever watched the movie Office Space, you know of the stereotypical IT stereotypes that exist. In this short segment, I explore some of the stereotypes that I remember from my days in an American office and compare them to the people that I've discovered in the Japanese office that I currently work in. So, hope you enjoy. Yeah, all right. It is Saturday, and uh, I, find that to- I find that talking into the phone is a lot easier. It's more natural. It's different, too, because when I'm talking into the phone, and I know it's the phone recording, I'm not holding like a recorder to myself. Um, I'm much less self-conscious about walking around and blabbing my mouth off, so it's kind of funny. I'll put a little spring in my step. I just finished recording uh, episode 18. It's not edited yet. And it will take some time to do that since there was a lot of people walking around and didn't want to look like I was crazy. But if I was holding the phone up and the recorder, <laughs> people would really wonder what I'm doing. But at least this way it looks like I'm on the phone. Um, okay, so this is another section for the uh, office episode. One of the things I realized the other day is that even though the culture of the office is, is somewhat different, the stereotypical IT workers are still present. Truthfully, it's really kind of funny. Okay, let me lay out the stereotypical IT workers that I see in this particular office. Okay, number one, slouch guy. This is the guy 
who can contort himself in whatever shape his seat is. This is the guy who sort of melts into a pool of putty at the bottom of his seat with uh, two shoulders and two arms sort of sticking out just enough to be able to reach the keyboard and a head on top that's sort of slouched and slightly looking up so he can see the screen. This guy sits so low in his chair, and he's not sure, but he sits so low in his chair that I can't see him over the divider. I can see everybody else, but I can't tell if this guy's at his desk or not. So that's number one, slouch guy. Number two, hypochondriac guy. This is the guy who has every medical product known to man within his immediate reach. We're talking Kleenex, pills, aspirin, hand lotion, hand wipes, everything. So that guy's there. That's number two. Wow, who's number three? Man, I gotta think about who number three is. Ah, okay, number three. Man, it is loud. Damn you people. Okay, we're gonna do an experiment here. You hear how loud everything is right now, right? There's cars going by. Alright. Okay, I'm getting ready to cross the street right now. Just, I can't even hear myself talk. That's how loud it is. I'm losing my voice. This doesn't help to talk like this after a cold. That guy just ran away. Okay, now I just walked into my street. See how much quieter that is? It's incredible. The way the streets are set up, and because there's main streets and then, like, side streets, it's so much easier to do sort of, like, public noise abatement makes it a lot easier. So it's kind of nice, too, when I come home from work and I get to walk through these side streets here. It's so much uh, quieter when I get home. Helps, too, that those political vans aren't running around anymore. Okay, number three, sweaty guy. This is the guy who sweats no matter what temperature it is. Sweaty guy always has a handkerchief and every three minutes is wiping his forehead. So that's number three. Sweaty guy is there. Japanese office has sweaty guy. Uh oh, some little girl just fell down. And her her father's comforting her. Okay, so there you go. There's at least three of the stereotypical guys present in the Japanese office. So we'll add that to the office episode there. This is a Wednesday afternoon on, I think, either June 5th or June 6th, and this is going to be the last installment of my supposed office episode here. I've been recording bits of audio here and there, trying to get it put together, so uh, I ended up listening to quite a few of the audio bits last night, and I think I'm ready to put it all together now, so this should be the final one, um, but you will probably be hearing my voice on an intro and an outro. So, really inconsequential for me to say all this, and I will probably edit out this little bit here, but enough meta talk. Okay. The last thing I wanted to talk about for the office episode at this point is uh, the working hours. 
and there's two aspects of the working hours I wanted to chat about briefly. One is the fact that Japanese employees seem to have a commitment to their office that goes beyond what an American or certainly a European would consider normal working hours. I know many of my workmates arrive in the office at about 8 or 9 a.m., I believe, and the average time of leaving is around 6.30 in the p.m., though I have left as late as 7.30, nearly 8 o'clock, and there are still quite a few people in the actual area still working. It seems to have a, a more of a relaxed atmosphere in terms of getting things done. I've noticed people taking small breaks, but they, they definitely tend to stay there for a longer period of time in general. I don't really know why in this company, which it hasn't been quite Americanized yet, but it's definitely more modern than other companies, I, I don't know why that's still prevalent. Um, people seem to have very interesting family lives. I'm sorry if the wind is going to cause too much of a problem here. I'll try to cover the phone. Hopefully it won't. From what I know, most people have very interesting and involved family lives, so it's not a lack of family that keeps them in the office. But I think it's sort of a leftover commitment to the Japanese company as a second family, or in some cases, maybe even a first family uh, to the individual. Company work is, is very important. There's a lot of pride in work, and I believe that a lot of people feel pretty bad when they leave before their workmates. And I think much of that is also ingrained, uh, or I'm sorry, not ingrained, reinforced in the uh, omiyage gift giving that occurs in the office. When I first arrived in the office, I brought um, some strawberry cookies from Ginza to the office. And it was somewhat funny because my boss had chuckled at me and said, I can't believe you know such an old Japanese tradition. So I figured at that point that the office was fairly modernized. But in fact, maybe two weeks afterwards, a uh, fellow employee of mine came back from a trip to Okinawa and brought omiyage for everybody. So leaving when your other fellow employees are still working is a task or is a, an event that has some guilt with it. And again, leaving before others leave in the office uh, also has some guilt associated with it. So I think that that is uh, one major aspect. But for me, it works great, though, since my work schedule usually extends till about 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. I actually have people in the office I can speak with and get work done. So I'm not complaining at the moment, but would I want to work in a Japanese office um, in that way? Absolutely not. There's just way too many hours put in, and you got to start wondering what the actual cost and sacrifices. So that is uh, my little comment on working hours. But there is another plus side, which I will get into in a moment. I am almost at the train station here, and the second plus side would otherwise extend into me talking on the train, which I do not want to do. So when I get off the train in Ariake, I will continue this stop. Okay, it is now after work. I didn't get a chance to talk before work, but it was actually better since I took a few notes here. 
Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about specifically on time is an interesting byproduct of the time difference in the work schedule that I noticed about working in a, in a Japanese office. So this may not occur if, you're, if you've always worked in uh, a Japanese office or if you work in an office that has the sort of same time table you're used to, but because the working days are nearly opposite, um, the working day gets started in the U.S. on the East Coast by the time I get home, usually about 9 o'clock p.m. So as a result, if I think of something last minute after leaving the office, I can usually fire it off to somebody in the home office, and by the time I get into work the next day, I already have a response. And you send it away, and by the time you sit at your desk the next time, it's it's in your inbox, and that's kind of nice. The type of work I do, I usually don't get responses right away, so I don't miss the instant response that um, some people often want while they're sitting in front of a, a computer and they need to fire fire off an email to somebody to get an answer right away. Uh, the work I'm doing now, I don't really need that. It's more research and consulting and opinions, so having that extra time that time difference really, really helps to get that that uh, that dynamic going. So there's the illusion of being more productive, but it, it does have its its downsides too because of the the weekend day overlap type deal. So that was the second thing I wanted to talk about. The other things that I noticed too, and these are just a bit more cultural things that I've noticed after working in a Japanese office that I take for granted or that I have taken for granted just being part of the the uh, the culture for so long. And I, I'm now sort of noticing in working in a Japanese office um, that are, are difficult. Let me, let me say that a different way. There are some things that I took for granted, how difficult they could be, and didn't really realize until I started working in an entirely different culture. And there are two things in general, which I will describe in a moment. I'm on my way, actually, to catch the Yuri Kamome. There's always little Yuri Kamome people. <laughs> I call them the Yuri, Yuri Kamome peeps, because they often wear these yellow hats and blue outfits, and the yellow and blue kind of reminds me of Easter, and the hats remind me of marshmallow peeps. I call them the Yurikamome peeps. I wonder if they expand in size when you put them in the microwave, though. That'd be an interesting experiment. So I, I don't think I'd want to see that. It'd be kind of messy, plus I don't think a large enough microwave exists yet. Let's see, is there a quiet place I can talk here? Uh, possibly, yeah, let's go near the front for a moment. How long I'm able to do this is going to be dependent upon the the train schedule, actually. Okay. Let's see. I have... Mm, uh, there's a lot of trains that run right now, so I don't really have time. You know what I'll do? I will... I'll finish this on my way home.
Okay. Jeez, man, these, these things are difficult to put together, especially in, in little bits like this. There were two other things that I wanted to mention about the Japanese office. Uh, things that uh, you kind of take for granted. The first one is, it, it, it's kind of weird because I didn't really think about it until after an example of this had occurred, and that is, um, let me just introduce the topic first, knowing when you are understood. This is something I think we take a lot for granted just in everyday life. And there's the whole, you know, women say this, they mean that, men say this, they mean that, but, but this, this is a different level. I really took for granted in a, in a, you know, in a homogenous culture of knowing when you're actually understood. In a Japanese office, it's really difficult to know whether or not someone really understands what you mean. And um, it's not just the cultural context. I, I've done a lot of cultural research on, you know, when people say yes, they really mean no, etc. But but we're talking more about difficult concepts and and and, and methodologies and, and things that are somewhat difficult to describe. And I'll get to that in, in a second. But with this. Not knowing if someone understands you can prove really challenging, especially in a consulting type arrangement, which is which is what I'm currently doing. The way that I've found to overcome that, however, is to look for it in actions. Let me give you an example. I had described a process to one of my coworkers, and he said that he understood, and I asked him if he had any questions, and he said no. However, the work that he had produced, I happened to just check, and I, I asked him if I could check it just for a moment because I wanted to make sure I told him the right thing. And upon checking the work, I realized that um, there was a minor point that he didn't quite understand, and pos quite possibly, I, I'm sure I didn't explain it well enough. So I explained to him that I didn't explain a certain part, and I repeated to explain the very same thing to him again. So even though my explanation was the same, it gave him another opportunity to understand, and at the same time, it allowed me another opportunity to explain, so we both sort of saved face there. But it was just incredible to me to realize that not knowing when someone truly understands what you're saying they can really get the gist of what you're doing can be very, very challenging, especially when there is a slight language barrier to to your work. So that that's another thing I had noticed. With, with some people in my office, it's not as much of an issue. Um, the translator that I'm working with now, she's just a blast to work with, and she flat out explains to me that she doesn't understand something. We spend a lot of time going over concepts. But some of my coworkers, I think, are still a little weary about expressing their misunderstanding or they're not understanding because they don't want to seem like they're they're unintelligent. They, uh, clearly, I wouldn't think that they were. I mean, these are these are not everyday things that everybody just understands right off the bat. But I still understand the reservation. So knowing that now, I've been able to handle myself with a little bit more caution with detecting whether or not someone truly understands what I'm saying. And, and like I said before, I sort of look for it in actions now. The very last thing, very very last thing, and I'm. Sure, this episode's going on pretty long now, but I alluded to it a moment ago. The last thing that I want to talk about is explaining 
difficult and complex conceptual topics. This is something that, that being a knowledge worker, you're, I'm often explaining things in very abstract ways. We're talking about concepts, drivers, organizing themes, things like this, and there's a whole world of vocabulary that you need in order to explain things like this. You know, there's only so much you can do with the word thing and the verb to do. And I could sit there explaining it in English till I'm blue in the face and really wouldn't get anywhere when it comes to describing very complex topics or very conceptual topics. A lot of the vocabulary I've developed in the past seven years in my current job, I, I really take for granted. And it's very funny when you say to someone, well, it's quite simple. You take these drivers, these business drivers, and you summarize them. And then after summarizing the business drivers, we assign them to these particular strategy items. And after these strategy items, blah, 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 right? And they look at you and they go, well, what's a driver? I don't understand. And you spend a lot of time reevaluating your whole vocabulary. And in a lot of cases, reevaluating the concepts. I've found that if I cannot boil a concept down to its very simple roots, then one of two things are true. Either I really don't understand it and I need to just think about it a little more and conceptualize it internally, or two, the concept is really just bunk. And there had been a, a few times where some of the things that we do um, in this particular consulting engagement really aren't appropriate or don't make sense for this situation, and it was only made aware to me through trying to explain that concept in very simple terms. And at that point, I just said, you know what, you're right. I don't understand how this applies either, but that's okay. We won't do this particular piece. And there have been other times where I just took for granted how incredibly complicated we've made a concept through the vocabulary that we used to describe it, when in fact it's something very simple and very easy to do. So there you go. These are... Uh, I think this will end up being the last one, and now Better Sounding Christopher will now do the outro. <laughs> I always get a kick out of hearing myself talk about myself to myself. I guess that's what the time-shifting ability these podcasts offer you uh, allows. It's It's funny to record these things knowing I will be editing them later. I often leave little audio notes for myself about other things to talk about. And um, it, it's funny after editing this episode and listening back to it to hear me refer to me knowing that I would do an outro such as this. So I'm just sort of chuckling to myself. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this and found it insightful. If you have any additional questions about um, my experiences in a Japanese office, or if you have some experiences that you'd like to share, please send them along. Um, you can email me, Christopher at FindingJapan.com. And there's also now on the webpage on the right-hand side uh, a little program there where you can actually leave a voice message for everybody else on the blog to listen to. And don't worry if you screw it up or if you want to re-record it. I can go ahead and, and choose which ones actually appear on this site. So feel free to leave a voice message. Just another quick note, I do have another project announcement coming up for the next episode, so keep an eye out for that. 
I don't want to get into it in this podcast quite yet since this one is already pushing the almost the 40 minute mark it looks like. I did want to talk about really quick though. Um, I just noticed the other day there's over 250 people that have downloaded the last three or four episodes each. Um, I, I was totally blown away. I didn't expect that that many people were listening, but I wanted to let everybody know that really my motivation for doing this is not something that I just sort of came up with spur of the moment. There's many, many people who have encouraged me and um, who I follow and who I respect. So I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Obviously, Scott Lockman from Tokyo Calling. If you're interested in Japan and haven't checked out his podcast, please do. But more than that, Scott's also starting to branch out in more of a technology and community and networking type mode. And it's interesting that he just happens to live in Japan and the insights come from a expatriate living in Japan perspective but it's not your typical Japan podcast. So if you haven't listened to it yet, check it out. He definitely does a lot of very interesting things, and I only expect even better things to come from Scott in the future. Obviously, uh, Terrence from Kobe Beef. Terrence, where are you, man? Haven't heard your voice in a while here on the uh, the podcasts. I'm looking forward to the next Kobe Beef if we ever see one. And uh, if you need any motivation, let me know, man. Let me Give me a direct line to T-Bone, and I'll, I'll, I'll set him straight. Also, uh, Rich Pav from Hello from Japan. He's been a little underground for a while. And there was a new podcast that I just listened to called Dixon Janes. I will put a link to it in the show notes. This gentleman, Scarborough Dude, had the opportunity to meet, I think it was about two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I believe, when Terrence came up to Tokyo for a bit. We all met together in a nice Irish pub and had a great couple of drinks and, and just chatted away, and he was a really great guy. But I just happened to start listening to his podcast from when he was in Japan. And wow, that guy's got some really great observations. He's such a blast to listen to. And if you um, have enjoyed podcasts like mine, please go listen to the last few episodes of Dixon Jane's because Scarborough Dude really has some very interesting insights that even you know I, I've overlooked too. I, I learned so much just by listening to his um one or two hour podcasts about being in Japan um, for his business trip this year. So definitely check that out. As always, uh, the crew, San Nikjay from the SNA podcast, Kelton from Life in the Shadows podcast, and Mafu-chan, hello from Michigan. In my notes here too, I just noticed I put hello from Michigan, but um, it's hello from Michigan. So check the show notes um, for those other podcasts if you're interested in some of the people I've been chatting with. One other thing I wanted to mention very briefly, San had recommended that I put some particular music in my episodes a little more often, and the tracks that you've heard in between some of the segments here um, are from a band that I used to play in quite a few years ago. So if you're interested, uh, check the show notes for that as well. All those tracks are now open source and creative commons, so if you're a podcaster, feel free to use those. If you like rock music, synth rock music, Uh, please feel free to download the albums and, and have fun with them. So, And again, I hope you enjoy this episode. Much more great stuff to come that I'm really excited about. So I hope you stay tuned. I'll talk to you all soon. Take care now. Bye.